When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. This is Making Waves at Sea Level the podcast for those who shake things up in business and are focused on growth and success. This episode is produced in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. ATC is a 30-year-old association that is focused on promoting and facilitating the growth of technology companies in Central Texas. Over the past three decades, the business ecosystem in Austin has changed, and ATC is actively changing also. To learn more, visit austintechnologycouncil.org. My name is Tom Singer, and I have hosted this podcast for over eight years and 726 episodes. I am also the new CEO at the Austin Technology Council. And while this podcast is not focused on Central Texas, in the coming months, I'm going to be interviewing leaders from Austin tech companies and the solution provider organizations who serve them. And today, we're going to talk with Kurt Wilkin about talent in today's marketplace. Hey, Kurt, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks so much for having me. Congrats on your new gig. I'm excited to see what you're going to do with Austin Technology Council. You and me both, Kurt. (laughs) Hey, for those of you who don't know Kurt Wilkin, he is the founder of both Hire Better and B-Cave Capital. And what he does is he serves entrepreneurs with capital and talent. And let's, let's face it, those are the two biggest things that every company needs to grow. So, Kurt, give us a little bit of your background about how you founded these two organizations and, and a little snippet of what they both do. Yeah, you bet. I'll start with my background was uh, Ernst & Young. I was uh, uh, in the audit group and I'm a bad CPA, so I uh, became an entrepreneur very quickly thereafter and uh, had a company that grew very rapidly that you and I actually used to compete against each other, uh, you with VCFO and me with the controller group. Sold that, and then I was looking for something more impactful, something that's going to do more than just uh, solve people's problems on a temporary basis. So I bought Hire Better, which was a recruiting firm that had a, a different bent on how uh, they went about uh, attracting and, uh, and re- recruiting talent for companies. I loved the concept. I loved uh, uh, how they, they did things different. So I bought Hire Better in 2011. Gosh, it's been 11 years and we've made uh, tremendous strides to really being the uh, strategic talent partner for entrepreneurial companies. So that's the higher, better side. And back in 20, gosh, uh, 2002, when I started the controller group, we started uh, investing in friends and that led to a, a few investments that got overextended, but thankfully at least one of them hit. And so now over the course of the last 20 years, we've invested in about 150 companies, mostly at the uh, angel stage. And so now I work with entrepreneurs, both on the capital side and talent side to help them really build great companies. Well, as we said in the intro, 
Talent and capital, those are the two things that companies need. So why do companies run into sort of roadblocks when it comes to either the right talent or finding the right capital? Well, I'll start on the capital, on on the talent side. Uh, What I found is most entrepreneurs hire very reactively. And so they're looking for the next shiny bullet. So it's all about adding to the team and they don't really know what they're looking for. And so that's really the impetus for my book called Who's Your Mic? which was uh, how do we help our clients step back, assess the existing team? What is the gap on the existing team I'm trying to fill? And let's go from there versus just uh, looking for somebody that we really might not even need, depending on what the rest of our team looks like. So um, that's the the talent side. And on the capital side, um, the, uh, the biggest challenge I think most companies have is, is really the ability to ask for it. (laughs) Uh, I've seen so many entrepreneurs that have a, really solid company, but they don't know how to raise capital, don't know how to, don't know how to ask their friends and and, uh, and associates to for the money. So it's like, just like being a salesperson that didn't know how to ask for the clothes, right, Tom? <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen plenty of those. So today's focus is going to be all about talent in today's marketplace. So we're going to look at the talent side of your world. So, you know, talent is really hard to find. It's really tight, especially in a town like Austin, where there's so many companies that are growing and there's so many people looking to find people. And we're going through, or at least we've been through what they've called the great resignation. So what's your take on all this? You know, my take is the the great resignation has been happening for years. So it's, it's, uh, it is um, expanded a bit in 2021 and 2022 with uh, now that we're past the pandemic, but we had a little lull in the pandemic. So I don't think it's anything new. I just think that it's just continued to grow. So people have been looking for new opportunities not necessarily for money, Tom, but they're really looking for something deeper. Most people are looking for purpose. They're looking for something that drives them. And I think that's lost on many entrepreneurs and CEOs. A lot of them think employees are still looking for paychecks. And that may be the case in certain cases, but for the most part, people are looking for something deeper. So what is that something deeper that people are looking for? It's it's something, uh, it's a purpose for the organization. It's a mission. A mission. What are we trying to accomplish that's not just uh, making money? And uh, I think we see it a lot in the, the newer, the younger uh, workforce. They want something that's more impactful than just make a, a cash and a paycheck. But we saw after the pandemic, people your, your age and my age are now looking for something more impactful. It's not um, good enough just to go and, and uh, punch a clock for the next 30 years of our life and cash a paycheck. We want to do something that matters and we want our company to matter. And that's the biggest thing I think most companies can try to do is figure out your why. It doesn't have to be save the world, but it's got to be more than making money. So what are some things you've seen companies do that position themselves to really attract, to connect both to the money side, but also the soul side of possible employees? You know, I'll I'll give you a higher, better story just because I know that one the best. And that is we have an impact statement, which is basically our purpose. And that is we impact lives by connecting and empowering good people to build great companies. And that was, come up, we, we created that over months of work. What do we do that, that impacts other people's lives? And we do as recruiters, we, we do. We, we bring Tom, to, we didn't recruit you to Austin Technology Council, but you, you needed a change and you wanted to change. And we impact, a recruiter might've impacted your life in that way. Um, we've got many examples of, uh, from uh, ranging from uh, helping people move back to where their mother uh, lives because it has had a new child or even crazier helping uh, one young lady in in North Carolina work her way out of living in her car 
to, you know, ultimately having a, a good job that she could feed and provide for her family. So many stories like that, that really how we impact uh, the candidates' lives, but also our clients' lives. If we can bring an A player to be a difference maker in your organization to take it to the proverbial next level, then we're now we're really, we're do, really doing something special. So as we look at sort of this, you know, this, this workforce, this highly competitive workforce, what are some other things that companies can do to stand out so that they're going to have an easier time hiring in this competitive world? Well, I, I do think the biggest one is, is everything I just described about the why, but it's also core values. And it's some things that sounded soft five years ago are now, I think, table stakes. Uh, obviously, you've got to be somewhat competitive from a compensation, compensation perspective, and you have to have some, some cool perks but it's not about foosball tables and pool tables like it was, you know, back when you and I were coming up. It's it's more than that. Obviously, the big one in today's day and age, I, I just emceed the Best Places to Work event uh, in Austin. And it seemed like every company out of the 80s was uh, touting their uh, virtual work environment. Now we can work both from home and from the office. So I think that's somewhat table stakes, too. In order to attract great people, you've got to offer them that opportunity. So let's talk about remote work. That's obviously one of the hottest topics that are out there for the companies that, that I work around. And so what are some things that, that companies have to do? Is, is hybrid really becoming the answer or is remote going to be the, the, the king of this, of this thing? You know, I think it's up to you, uh, the organization and the leadership team, what, what you really um, espouse. Some people still want you to come to the office and, and that's okay. If that's the kind of structure you want and, and it really means a lot to you, then, then that's okay. There are people, myself included, as you can tell from the background, I'm in my office. I like to come to the office. So, um, so I just wanted to say that you have to be yourself at the same time in order to attract the best people. You, I think at this point, you've got to offer that option. Uh, many companies weren't uh, set out to be totally virtual. So keep that in mind. And then frankly, many managers and leaders weren't, uh, aren't, aren't created to manage virtually. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror when I say this, I suck at holding people accountable. So because of that, I, I can't lead a virtual work environment because you could just walk all over me. Uh, <laughs> but I've got, I've got a partner uh, that manages, so it helps me a lot. So I know a lot of people who I thought would love to work remotely who are getting themselves back to the office. And they're, they're a little bit more introverted. You'd think that they'd be the ones who want to be home. And I asked why, and they said, it's that collaboration factor. So what are companies doing if they're fully remote to really have that, that sort of community feel and that collaboration. Well, thankfully now there's a lot of tools that maybe were out there pre pandemic, but now are very acceptable things like Slack and, and zoom and, and, and whatnot. I, I think there's a lot of virtual water cooler type things that people are creating. That's uh, fantastic. We have a lot of uh, activities uh, weekly basis and more to, uh, to keep our team engaged uh, as a, outside of work, if you will. So we just had a book club, for example, this morning where we're talking through a book and, and how it impacted us. Great. Well, speaking of books, you've just released a book. It's, <laughs> it's, it's out on, uh, on, on the digital versions and the audio versions, and it's going to be out uh, first part of August as uh, able to be out, ordered as an actual hard copy book from Amazon. It's called Who's Your Mike? M-I-K-E. And then on the back, it says the business book for people who hate business books. So- Give me a little background of what the book's about and, and tell me about these people who hate business books and why they should buy yours. Well, I'll start with the, the hate business books. I think most business books are 
probably 80% fluff. There's maybe a 20% nugget that's really, really good in there. And in order to fill a full book that you can sell, you've got to fill it with the same BS that you, you read in other business books. So that's my one of my challenges with the traditional business book. The other is most of them are sunshine and rainbows. How you can follow my five steps to be a billionaire and have sex every day and you know whatever those uh, key things that drive you are. And I just think that's bullshit. If, if I can say that on your podcast. Sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> and, and my book is uh, it, it's intended to be all about, it's about stories of that other people about other people. I think most entrepreneurs learn from their own mistakes, but they also learn from the stories of others. And I like to say, I don't want to just hear the glory stories. I want to hear the gory stories, <laughs> the bigger the shit show, the more I'm going to learn. So the, the book is about, um, uh, it's, it's a collection of stories about the types of um, employees you're going to meet on your entrepreneurial journey. And it, it, each chapter is a different character. And it's just a fun way to, to have a, um, to, to learn from other people's experiences. So every chapter is meat. There's not, there's not fluff going on here. Every chapter is a different, a different personality type that you're going to find along the way, right? You know, I think so. But here's what I tell readers up front. You might just find 20% of the book usable because you have certain characters that you want to read about and the other ones you don't. So just like any other business book, don't read the other 80%, but I'm going to tell you in the table of contents, which one you you might be of interest. (laughs) All right. So when I look at the, when I look at the book here and I've got it here in my hand, it says in the inside jacket, it says growing a business is tough. Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs usually start off by cobbling together a team of self-starters willing to bust their asses for the company, usually from within their personal network, their college buddies, their friends, their family, their relatives, etc. Those scrappy teams are perfect for the startup culture, but because they're tough, they're hungry, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. But we can't stay in that startup culture forever, right? So when when is it important for an entrepreneur to start paying attention to who they're hiring, like you talk about in the book? You know, it's a great question. I, I think as you uh, come through that startup phase and you quote, you know, make it through that, if you will, you're going to have to start professionalizing your team and you move from a generalist team to more of a specialist team. It doesn't happen overnight and uh, don't let anybody convince you you need to go hire five execs from the outside overnight. But it does mean as you um, maybe outgrow members of your team, you can start bringing in folks who've had had that experience and quote, been there, done that. Uh, what I like to say is if you've got a leadership team of let's say five people, if all five of you are going this through this amazing growth for the first time, you're going to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. But if I can have one or two or three people in there who've done this before, I can learn from their previous mistakes, from their previous bosses. And so I can get there faster and cheaper. So how many stories are there in the book? There's 11 characters. And then uh, with uh, intermittently throughout the books, I have what I call intermissions, <laughs> which is, I'll call it advice, but it's um, just some, some Q and a uh, from me about uh, what people did with their mic or their uh, side hustle, Sam, or their pipeline, Paul, or whatever characters they are. And uh, didn't really tell you what to do. It tells you what other people did and gives you some things to think about. All right. So we can't cover all 11 characters, but I have two questions. One is, Let's let's pick two, and then one of them before you pick. Who's Mike? He may not be who you pick, but but who is Mike? Well, Mike, I, I kind of have to talk about Mike, and, and so you know, Mike is the one that you and I, as we've been around this uh, entrepreneurial community forever, we see in our, almost every company we work with. So, Mike is your fraternity brother in college. Uh, he took a couple of hours of accounting, and you guys were best buds, did everything together, and you trusted him with your life. 
When you started your business in your garage, Mike was right there with you nights and weekends doing all the administrative back office things that you don't like to do. And and frankly, you suck at. And as you become a real company, Mike quits his day job and now becomes your full-time accountant, still doing those back office things, maybe setting up your LLC, setting up your bank account, um, ordering office supplies, whatever it is. If it didn't involve sales or, or product, he, he was right there uh, doing it for you. And you grew and Mike's title grew and you rewarded his 100-hour weeks with the title of controller and ultimately CFO because that was the next logical title. But now you're five years down the road and you're doing you know, 15, 20 million in revenue and Mike's trying to negotiate a $10 million line of credit with the bank, maybe a merger agreement with your biggest competitor. And he's still working 100 hours a week, but he doesn't have a team because he didn't know how to build one. He didn't know how to delegate. He's in over his head and he's swirling. So the question is, who's your mic? Every entrepreneur has a mic, whether it's finance and accounting like this mic or sales, marketing, operations. All entrepreneurs either have had, will have, or are currently have a mic. You know, what's interesting to me is as you started talking about Mike, I thought Mike was going to be golden boy who's there with you through thick and thin, who you always have. But your story, you, you said you, you want to tell both the glory and the gory. It sounds like sometimes Mike's got to go, even though he's your best buddy. And that, that's kind of a hard story to put in the book. But mo- most books don't have stories like that. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing about that. So my friend's name, Mike, hate, hate that story. But the reality is Mike's not a bad guy. You don't have to get rid of him. Maybe Mike could be coached and, and become your CFO of the future. Maybe he's a really solid individual contributor that could be a solid controller. And maybe Mike's just a, you know, a, a diva you need to let go. There's a lot of different things you could do with Mike. So it's none of these characters are good or bad. It's just uh, uh, what, what do you do with them? Nice. Well, let's, let's pick another one then, maybe a little different than Mike and, and, and share that one with us. So the, the next one is going to be a challenging one. This is Pipeline Paul. And Paul is a... Um, you know, you, you need now to, to go from beyond the, the founder as your salesperson. You need to go get that big swinging, you know what, from the outside. And one of your investors told you about Paul, who uh, worked at, since we're in Austin, he worked at Dell and he's got all these relationships with all these great tech companies. So you bring in Paul and he, he talks a great game. So you hire him and he's promising all these great things. He played golf with the CFO of, you know, ABC Co. And he, uh, every week is the networking group with Tom Singer and the ATC guys, right? The uh, Austin Technology Council. So he keeps talking about all these great relationships and you say, well, okay, Paul, where's my, where's my deals? Oh, my pipeline looks great. Got all these things going through the pipeline, but that pipeline never matriculates. And six months later, 12 months later, 18 months later, you're still waiting for all these things that Paul's talking about to, to come to fruition. Never seems to happen. So now you realize, or you, you're, you're, you're fearful Paul, Paul is full of crap. And so you ultimately let him go because nothing ever seems to come through the pipeline and really just a guy who talks a great game. And that happens a lot, especially in the sales world. Interesting. Well, those two are great stories that sort of tip off. I think everybody's going to need to buy the book, Who's Your Mike, and uh, check out the other nine stories that are in there. Any Anything else about the book people should know? You know, we get those intermissions with some great, uh, some great uh, tips on what to do with some of these characters. Let me go through my four favorite questions that are going to help you if you're wondering if you have a, a legacy employee you may have outgrown. I'll just go through these four questions right quick. Um, number one, let's use Mike as an example. Knowing today what you know about your organization and where you're going, would you enthusiastically rehire Mike as your CFO? And maybe you might hire him again as your buddy, but not as your CFO. Number two, does Mike have the skills, experience, and tools to get us to that next level? However, you have decided to define that. Usually, if you're asking the question, the answer is probably no. 
And the next two are gut questions that I like to ask really to help me feel what my gut is, is telling me. The first one is, what if I had a team full of mics? How would I feel? How strong would my team be? And if you think, oh my gosh, that'd be chaotic, too many mics. That's part of your answer. And the fourth one is, what if Mike came into my office tomorrow and quit? Would you be relieved? Would you be uh, scared? Beyond the first 24 hours, oh my gosh, I'm losing my best friend. Would you ultimately feel relieved? Those are good gut questions. And if the answer all four of those are in the negative, it's probably time to move on from Mike or at least move him somewhere else in the organization and bring in someone else. Nice. Well, let me shift gears real quick before we kind of wrap it up. I have two more areas I want to cover. One is let's talk a little bit about the recruit recruiting industry. I worked in the industry for a couple of years. Uh, it's gone through a lot of changes. Well, what do you think that everyone in business needs to know about recruiting? I think they need to know that most recruiters, especially in this entrepreneurial lower middle market are uh, paid on commission and uh, they need to be just as uh, adept at, at identif- uh, vetting talent as the recruiter is in bringing talent. So be careful. Um, that's not all recruiters, it's, but it's the, the, the contingent recruiting model, especially. I know you didn't work for a contingent recruiter. Uh, so uh, Yeah, I worked, I worked in retained search just doing C-level yeah. stuff. Retained is definitely different. And that's what higher better is. We, you retain us just like you would retain your attorney or your CPA or what have you. So it's slightly different, but it's still, um, you just got to understand the, uh, the incentives across the board. Uh, the other thing is talent is uh, it's, it's still a candidate market, maybe less so than it was six months ago, but still very much a candidate market. So as you're recruiting, not only screen them and vet them and make sure they're a good fit for you, but you have to be a, a little bit on sales mode to make sure that you can sell them on your opportunity and you have to treat them like human beings, treat them great, or you're going to lose the good ones because they don't want to be treated like uh, like a piece of meat. Nice, nice. All right. So since this episode is produced in partnership with ATC, let's talk a little bit about Austin. You've been here a long time. I've been here 31 years. We've seen the, the city grow. We've seen the tech community uh, grow quite a bit. What do you think is awesome about Austin and where do you think as a community, we need to be paying attention to, to make sure we don't kill that golden goose, I guess. You know, Austin's just got such a cool vibe about it. And many of your listeners have, have heard of Keep Austin Weird, which is our way of, you know, using uh, local resources, stores and whatnot. So that Austin vibe is so cool. And I think that's what attracts so many people to the city. And then what do we have to do to be careful to make sure that this, this boom that we've created doesn't go away? Yeah, you know, that part scares the crap out of me because we've got so many people moving in from West Coast, East Coast, what have you. Uh, we've got to try to keep that. I, I would encourage your listeners to remember why they're moving to Austin. It's that cool vibe. And the more we try to make Austin uh, like L.A. or San Fran or New York or wherever you came from, uh, the faster we're going to lose that vibe. What are areas we need to improve on? Uh, besides traffic and and, uh, and heat and the weather? <laughs> I don't think we can take it. I don't think we can do much about the heat. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, what can we improve upon? You know what? I'd like to see more diversity. The African-American population, especially in the business world in Austin, is, uh, is, is, is not enough for a good diverse population. And we've proven with all the studies that are out there is the more diversity you have inside a company, the more successful and the more profitable you are. And that goes through all the demographics of diversity. So I think that's, that's always a super important thing for companies to do. So, Kurt Wilkin, anything else you'd like to share with the listeners here on Making Waves at Sea Level? 
you know, the last thing I'd want to say is uh, good luck, Tom. Austin Technology Council, you guys are uh, are set for a, a bright future. I'm excited to be part of it. Nice. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for being here and being a guest on the show. Before we go, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. This episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Kurt Wilkin. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. Again, Kurt, thanks so much for being a guest here. Thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened to this podcast. Please come back every week and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast joy. Now go out there and make some waves in business on your own and have some fun along the way. And however and whatever you do, find a way to positively impact the people who you encounter today. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.